Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 104 with Michael Anderson. We're going to chat with Michael about overcoming some self-limiting beliefs. So if you got that anxiety about some certain areas or skills or stuff that comes up, we're going to go into it a little bit psychologically and have some fun along the way. So you're going to learn, one, how anxiety offers helpful clues for your personal development, two, best practices in overcoming limiting beliefs, and three, a simple way to deal with stress. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we discuss, you can find that over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep104. So while you're over there at awesomeatyourjob.com, I encourage you to take a look at some of the cool stuff from the Gold Nugget email summaries, which summarize some of the prescriptive wisdom of the guests in a quick email you can read in under two minutes that shows up in the morning to the 10 days at winning at work free email course that slashes waste from your day to information about my training and other cool stuff. So drop on by awesomeatyourjob.com while you're investigating the show notes from Michael Anderson's episode at awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP104. So here's a quick bit about Michael. Michael Anderson is founder of the Executive Joy Institute. He specializes in teaching organizations, leaders, and individuals how to become even more successful through psychology, emotional intelligence, and mindfulness. His unique background of real-life experience mixed with his world-class education allows his audiences to both learn and be entertained. Michael has taught leaders from around the world, from Panama to the Philippines to Australia and Mexico, and has worked with a broad range of clients, including Microsoft, SAP, Stanford University, Vistage, Young President's Organization, and Entrepreneur's Organization. Here is Michael. Michael, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Hey, thanks for having me, Pete. Well, I think we're going to have a lot of fun with this conversation. It's probably long overdue. It's something I've wanted to cover off. But first things first, you have a fascinating sort of origin story or backstory there. And so I imagine we could chat about it for a couple hours and have fun with it. But maybe you could just give us sort of a quick orientation to your wild life and how it connects to what you're teaching now. Well, yeah, I guess it is sort of an interesting backstory. You know, I, I've had a lot of material outside success in my life. You know, I played semi-pro basketball. I founded three international software companies. One of them did, you know, really well. Pete, I used to party at the Playboy Mansion. Woo! I know. So I guess it is an interesting, <laughs> so it would be good stories. And it was, you know, I was successful on the outside, but I didn't have any internal joy and fulfillment. I was so focused on externally trying to find that happiness. I really didn't look internally at all. And I have, again, it, like you said, it's a longer story for maybe another time and place. But I went through some really down times in my life. Actually, it was funny because I was making a lot of money and having some success. One of my business partners assaulted me. I I was going through a divorce. Alcohol and hard drugs all hit me at the same time. And I said, look, there's got to be something better out of life. And so I ended up in my mid to late 30s. I went back and I said, you know, I'm going to do whatever it takes to get happy. And I ended up earning a master's degree in spiritual psychology, which was totally life-changing for me. Fascinating. Okay. Spiritual psychology. 
Interesting stuff. And so now you've started this organization called the Executive Joy Institute, which is a fun name. So what exactly does Executive Joy mean and what's your group all about? Well, you know, my mission in life, my purpose is to raise the consciousness of the world by elevating leaders. And, you know, there's so many people. It's funny because so many of us give so much to other people, but we have such a chaotic inner life. And, you know, I went through it. I mean, I used to, (laughs) again, people used to tell me like, Mike, you have such an awesome life. And I'd be like, oh my God, my life sucks. You know, I was just embroiled in my own ego and everything else. And I realized that, you know, the leaders of this world, it doesn't matter, you know, if you're even in your teenager, 20s, 30s, 40s, or 50s, 60s, or whatever, if you have those leadership abilities and skills, then you bring like a positive, joyous attitude to your leadership. And again, whether you're a housewife or you run a million person company, it just brings so much positivity and joy and optimism and everything else to so many people around you. I really wanted to just live a life of service, helping other people that are competitive and driven that have a lot of influence, have them live better lives with themselves because that helps them live better lives externally. Okay. Understood. Thank you. Well, so now what really intrigued me as we were trading emails earlier was some of the work you do around tackling, you know, limiting or subconscious beliefs that are holding us back. And so I think that I've witnessed this sort of my own life firsthand and seen some things and tackled them and had good results on the other side. So I'd love for you to maybe kick off this piece of the conversation by sharing what are some common limiting beliefs you've bumped into with clients and folks that you work with? Well, I'm going to get into some of the specific ones because I have five main ones. But if, oh, right. if, sorry, Pete, just to give some context, oh, maybe sure. we'll talk about where they come from because they're sort of hard to grasp. You know, it's sort of going to be a rolling thing. So listeners, if you're listening to this, they're really, really powerful. I'm going to explain them. Pete and I are going to look at them from a couple of different angles. So hang in there because they're unconscious. It's like sometimes it takes us a little while to realize where we have them. Okay. But, you know, the number one place they come from is what I call intergenerational beliefs. You know, they say 80% of our behavior is, you know, based on what came from whether, you know, our parents, our caregivers, et cetera. Let's say nature and nurture doesn't really matter. Their 80% of our behavior comes from that. But that doesn't mean we're stuck with that. We can absolutely change these. And if you look at intergenerational patterns, you know, a lot of our grandparents, you know, our parents, grandparents, great grandparents came from communism, came from dictatorships, came from wars which makes it sound a little bit funny why I bring that up. But, you know, a lot of like unconscious beliefs hold us back from real success. You know, we don't believe we're worthy of Mm. success or making a lot of money. So oftentimes we'll self-sabotage ourselves when it comes to a promotion or not going for that promotion or thinking we're not ready for that promotion, you know, even being in the interview and, and not answering confidently because there's unconscious thing that's pulling at us that's saying, you know, I don't know if we're ready. I don't know if we're right for this. I don't know if we're worthy. You know, we're ready for this type of thing. And if you think about like if, you know, our great grandparents, like mine came from Croatia, which was communist. They came over and they worked in the steel mills of Pittsburgh, you know, my grandparents, and then my parents, we learned a lot from them. And then they obviously taught me a lot of these things that really, you know, maybe we're not as open to success. And again, I, I know I'm throwing a lot out there. We're going to go oh, sure. deeper into Fine. this. When I started learning about these, I'm like, oh my gosh, I totally see how that's playing out in my life. And it's just really fun when we can find it. We can find out where they are 
because it's like, ah, that's why I've been doing that or that's what I've been getting stuck in. And so it can be really freeing. Okay, understood. So you're saying, where does it come from as a bit of backstory? And sometimes it's the intergenerational piece, like where you came from, what you've been hearing as you grew up and witnessed and observed, you know, your parents and others. Yes. And so it can also come from, I mean, it's got racial, cultural, and geographic. So, you know, based on, like I mentioned from Pittsburgh, we're a blue collar type area. When my parents and grandparents were growing up, it was a steel town. Uh, in fact, just to tell you about a self-limiting belief that you could almost call it cultural and geographic was when my grandparents, the town they grew up in, the steel mill town they grew up in, they would never trust anybody with a suit on. Oh, wow. <laughs> because everybody worked in the steel mills or they supported the steel mills and all the people with the suits were the managements. So just imagine, I know this sounds maybe crazy, but Think about if your parents had this thing where they never trusted people with a suit. And then all of a sudden, you know, you, maybe you're a pretty bright kid. They really work hard to send you to college. Then you get this job. And the first day of work, you have to wear a suit. And then but for the last 25 years, your parents have subconsciously been sort of transferring this knowledge. And maybe they didn't even say it. But every time they're around somebody in a suit, they tense up. And, you know, when you're a kid, you can feel that tension. So a lot of this stuff is passed on. That's why it's called unconscious beliefs or subconscious beliefs. They mean the same thing. And because, you know, as kids, we pick up on those things. And even if they don't know about it, these type of things play off. So, you know, maybe your first day of work, you're super nervous. Maybe it lasts five, 10, maybe it lasts your whole life. Mm. So until we really uncover these, these type of things can hold you back. Oh, that's fascinating. So you're saying folks can have a belief at work, not know it's there, but they are sort of suffering or experiencing the consequences of it. Like they're nervous. It's because they're wearing a suit. They're nervous about that because of their parents' beliefs. And they haven't even identified that that's what's going on here. Exactly. So if you are there listening and you're trying to th and you look, sort of scan your life, you know, is there an area of your life where you think you self-sabotage yourself? Is there areas where you get nervous or have anxiety or really don't feel comfortable that is a clue that there's something going on unconsciously, subconsciously. And you really can't move forward in a healthy way until you clear some of these. Okay, so could you share with us what are some other common beliefs then that can pop up that a lot of people have going on there? One is being unworthy. Yeah, so one is worthiness. And it's like, am I worthy to make this amount of money, for example? Because if you don't truly believe you're worthy, and then you start making that amount of money, then you are going to screw it up because you have what they call competing intentions. One is you want to make this money. And the second is subconsciously, you don't think that you're worthy enough to make this money. And then what will happen is you'll either get sick, you will screw up the job, you'll lose a lot of money some other way. I mean, if you've ever seen or had it happen to you where you start spending money when you have a lot of it for seemingly no reason, unrational reasons, that is at play. Okay. Uh, a couple other good signs if you have this worthiness, the limiting belief. When people give you praise, they say, hey, great job or whatever it is. If you always deflect it or if you've seen people deflect it, if you said, hey, Pete, I love your podcast. And Pete's like, eh, it's no big deal. Or eh, it's, it's everybody else. Or, you know, he sort of deflects it. To me, that is, you know, you're not worthy. You're not saying, hey, you know, I did create something great or I am smart or I am available to make this amount of money. And, you know, people can work on that by just when people give you a compliment, just by really looking them in the eyes and saying thank you. All right. And it can be hard, but I mean, it's a really great thing to start moving forward towards that. 
Oh, that's great. Okay. So that's sort of one very practical, actionable step. Thank you for that. And so what are some other beliefs that show up and some signs associated with them and some steps to take if you see them? Sure. So another one is called, I call it work equals success. And what that means is you have this belief that in order to become successful, you need to work hard. Now, oftentimes, let me explain this because oftentimes work ethic is good and it's good to work hard. But there's this belief that says, in order to be successful, I have to work hard. Now, I don't know about you, Pete, but I want to be massively successful without that much work. <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah. Sounds great. But this is sort of like a guilt thing. Like if I'm starting to be successful and I'm not working hard, then I all of a sudden have this guilt. And let me give you an example from my own life. So I founded a couple of software companies. I was running the main one that I was running. I actually had it in a good position and I had a good middle management level. I had good middle managers. We were making good cash flow and I only had to work about 10 to 20 hours a week. All right. I call that the holy trinity of entrepreneurship. You know, I can make money. I don't, I don't have to be tied to the business. Well, I was so guilty that everybody else was working these 40, 50, 60 hour work weeks because everybody else was busting their butt. That I actually made up projects to do and I just made up BS reasons to be in the office because I was felt so guilty that they were working so hard. We were making money and I actually didn't step away from the business because of that guilt. Mm, yeah. So, you know, a lot of us have this martyrdom. I call it this martyr where it's like, and that almost leads us to the next self-limiting belief where, hey, if I'm going to be successful, it's going to be through pain. It's going to be, I call it, you know, what is your sacrifice to be successful? You know, a lot of us have this thing where if I am successful, then I can't have a happy home life or I can't be healthy. Or if I'm successful, I can't be a good person. You know, I was talking to my sister, her and her husband, they purchased a pharmacy and a couple of years ago and she called me up and she was talking about how her business life is doing well, but her kids were having problems and it sort of mirrored what happened to us as kids with our dad. And then for some reason, it just caught me. It's funny because I said, Amy, you realize that you can actually be happy and successful at work and happy and successful at home as well. And it was funny because there was like this long silence and she said, wow, I never even really realize that that was possible. All right. Wow. Yeah. And so these show up so many different ways. In fact, I did a speaking engagement about this before, and there was a Romanian lady who she was an immigrant to the U.S. She saw my presentation. She said, you know, I really didn't get this work equal sacrifice or success equal sacrifice. And but she really looked at her family. And every time people in her family were very successful, they became very sick. Mm. And not sick and like got a cold, like sick, like leukemia and cancer way. Because, you know, subconsciously, when we have these things that aren't, you know, with our beliefs, if we do something so outside of what we believe is to be okay, then if we can't change that, our body reacts. And oftentimes we do things like get sick. You know, they've studied this with people that don't forgive people, other things like that. So, you know, if you are somebody that, you know, for example, has a lot of this guilt, you know, if you do feel resentful around other wealthy people. I mean, think about it. If you're resentful, when you see somebody on the news that maybe wins the lottery or makes a lot of money and you're resentful to them, how are you ever going to be happy and successful? Yeah, it makes a lot of great sense. Yes. And now I guess I'm curious to hear, you know, I think that there are many sort of limiting beliefs that maybe are a bit more narrow, but highly applicable to, you know, the day in, day out work life, such as 
I'm not creative or I'm not a good public speaker or I'm not good with, you know, Excel spreadsheets and elaborate data analysis kind of freaks me out. It's overwhelming, those huge models. And so I firmly believe that those two can really hold people back in terms of the risk they're willing to take and what they're willing to tackle and go after. So if you find yourself having discovered a belief like this, whether it's a macro or micro You mentioned a couple steps associated with being able to say thank you if it's a worthiness matter. But what's that general, I guess, approach or step-by-step to climbing out of these limiting uh, suboptimal beliefs? Yeah, that's a great question. And the first thing is you want to get very clear what the belief is. And I love what you brought up, Pete, because it's like, yeah, I'm talking about it from the macro way, but in your everyday life, they show up, you know, whether it could be like, you know, I have fear around speaking or I feel really uncomfortable in sales presentations or, you know, whenever I have to go for a raise, I really get tense. Those are all different manifestations of self-limiting beliefs. And so, first of all, and it's actually a great exercise to really define what your belief is. Because you may have never really thought about it, but when you start reflecting on your life, like, you know what, every time I did in my life, every time my manager brought up compensation, I really freeze up. I really get tense and tight. And so even by giving it a name, psychologically, that makes it more tangible so that you can work on it. And again, I want to encourage everybody, don't get down on yourself when you think of these beliefs. I have so many self-limiting beliefs. And, you know, when I speak or in my books, I talk about all of mine. So I'm not above all these things. I just choose to work on them. So I want everybody to have some compassion with themselves as you start encountering these. But you want to get clear about what the belief is. So your belief might be, I get anxiety about asking for more money. Then what you want to do is you want to create what's called an affirmation. Pete, do you have any experience with affirmations? Wait, it's funny. I had a belief at one point that I, I don't even know how to say it. It's like I was smart and I got good grades and stuff, but like little things like navigating, you know, back in the day, you know, with a map, you know, I'd get very lost or just organizing, you know, basic stuff, you know, I would kind of get behind and have some embarrassing moments. So I remember I proactively sort of made the affirmation, you know, hey, I am a very capable person who can, I don't remember the exact sentence anymore, but I wrote it in a notebook. I think I had the word factotum in there, which means one who could do anything. I thought of like janitors and stuff that I admired, like that guy's just on top of everything (laughs) all at once. And all these little detailed things I'm not good at. It's like, I could be like that guy was basically the affirmation. And then I wrote down all these experiences, examples, and compliments that I had to kind of reinforce that. It helped a lot. Like I got less anxious. It was like, okay, I'm going to navigate where we're going. I'm going to organize, you know, this cluster of stuff that I find intimidating. And so that's a long answer to a little bit. I guess I had one big affirmation that helped a lot at a sensitive time of life. Well, actually, Pete, this is why you're such an awesome trainer. and You're so good at this because you brought up so many great things in that little example. So, you know, the first thing is to create what's called an affirmation. And for the listeners that aren't familiar with this, an affirmation is a positive statement stated in the affirmative in the present. So, you know, if Pete had anxiety about, for example, navigation, I'm taking a really, you know, quick one off of what he said, and he might have an affirmation that I am a great navigator. And because all these unconscious beliefs and aware are just bad habits, I'm oversimplifying, but what affirmations do is they start retraining our brain. But what Pete also did is he said he started small. So 
you know, he can find out maybe where he navigated a little bit okay, and then he can maybe even write about that and build off of that. So when it comes to changing these, you know, I'm 46, and so some of my self-limiting beliefs have been around for 46 years. That doesn't mean it takes 46 years to reverse them, but it doesn't take one day, one podcast, one book. It takes me doing a practice. And the affirmations, starting small, making little changes, and even journaling about it to give myself that confidence are all positive ways we can move through that, Pete. So you actually brought up a great example. So thanks for doing my work for me. Oh, sure. Thank you. Well, but I'd love to hear it. You maybe have some pro tips or best practices for doing that well. So one is you make that affirmation in the positive, affirmative, present tense, like I am a great navigator. I am a capable public speaker, whatever. And yes, then and just you... The, yeah, and you're right, because it starts with I am, and it's the desired future state. So even if you're like, oh, I'm not really a great navigator, that's okay. You say I am a great navigator because your mind will start moving in that direction. That's great. Thank you. And so then you're saying not only are you writing down sort of evidence and incidences of it, but you're also trying to get some bite-sized kind of small wins under your belt to start with. Yeah. You know, I'll go back to the example where, you know, if you, for example, get anxiety about talking about compensation with your manager, which a lot of people do, you know, you're not with an affirmation, you're not all of a sudden going to go from having anxiety to not having anxiety. So, you want to just go for that small win. So maybe you want to just bring it up one time to your manager. And once you bring it up one time, you might still get some anxiety, but you can go back and you said, you know what? I did better than I did last time. So I made some ground or at least I made that first step. And so every time you just want to do 2%, 5% better, you know, after 20 or 30 times, because a lot, again, this is rechanging behaviors, you will come a long way. You'll come 80 or 90%. So it's just, it's really focusing on those small steps one at a time to really get you there. That's great. Thank you. And so I'm also wondering now if your belief is not on the micro scale of a particular skill or, you know, being nervous about something, but it's maybe on the bigger scale of, you know, in order to be successful, I must sacrifice. Is there a different formula or plan of attack to tackle that kind of a belief? Well, you still want the affirmations. And it's funny because the example I was using about having anxiety about your compensation is actually a manifestation of I'm not worthy. You know, I'm not worthy of this amount of money. You know, I'm not worthy of getting more money. You know, what if they say no? It's a scarcity type thing. What if they say no and they fire me? I don't know about you, Pete, but I have some crazy thoughts sometimes. Oh, sure. (laughs) And, you know, it's like, what if this happens? What if I get fired? What if I'm homeless? And that's like in three minutes, I just freak (laughs) myself out. And sometimes I do have these crazy thoughts that are totally unrealistic, but it's, you know, just telling myself, look, I'm not my thoughts. You know, sometimes I have crazy thoughts doesn't mean I'm crazy. So it just gives a little bit of sanity back in my life. But it's the same process. It's just working on these a little bit at a time, creating, for example, I really like written journals. So if you spend a couple minutes on this every night or every time you catch it happening, to me, just, you know, even five minutes a night really starts creating those new habits in people's lives. Oh, that's so good. Thank you. Well, I do want to make sure we get to have a bit of a chat. So you got this one book already out and another coming up here. It might be actually hot off the presses when this episode releases. So the first book is called The Work Experiment, Discover a Revolutionary Way to Manage Stress and Achieve Work-Life. So it hits some nice rankings, which is cool. I'd love to hear any of your sort of favorite, most powerful stress-busting solutions that are in that book. 
Oh, so there's a bunch of them. I know the, um, <laughs> we're talking about an affirmation. One of my spiritual teachers told me this one is called, and this too shall pass. So mm-hmm. no matter what's going on, it's temporary. So if you're under a lot of crap, let's just say, just remember, and this too shall pass. No matter what you're going through, it won't last forever. And if you're under a lot of stress, I mean, if you have like, you know, you're doing a big project and things are really, you know, piling up, what I do is, you know, don't be afraid to sort of close yourself off to everything else and focus. What I mean by that is, you know, I'll catch some people and sometimes even myself, like I'm going through this book launch right now. I have a lot of stuff or I'll catch other people that are like, oh, my God, I'm under so much stress. So I'll just spend five minutes with them and I'll be like, all right, what's on your to do list? What are you doing the next three days? And for example, they'll bring up, oh, I got, well, lunch with my friend tomorrow. I'm like, what do you mean your friend? Well, you know, my high school friend I haven't seen. We get together every few months. I'm like, look, if you're under that much stress right now that's like affecting your mood and everything, this is not the time to do just networking lunch or friend lunches. So, you know, when we realize we're at this crunch time, what we want to do is take everything we can off of our plate. You know, if we have any of these phone calls, conference calls, education type things, networking events, when it comes to crunch time in our lives, we really should focus. We don't, you know, and reschedule or cancel anything that can be rescheduled. That'll give you, you know, the focus you need to get whatever is heavy right now, you know, whether it's a work thing or a personal thing, really focused to do. Oh, that is good. If I could just chime in and have a little back and forth here. I'm thinking about Sean Acor here, the happiness advantage, and how you know, he brought up the point that when Harvard students were going nuts with their stress and their obligations, they would often cut themselves off from their you know, friends, family, loved ones, support networks in order to hunker down. So I just want to maybe distinguish a little bit there. You were kind of referencing a high school buddy friend catch-up lunch as kind of an expendable, nice-to-have, no-need-to-go-there piece. But is there anything you would insert there associated with, you know, friends, family support networks in the midst of stressful times? Yeah. So I think that's a great thing to differentiate. And I'm not talking about every day, but every so often some of us get like under a deadline (laughs) or a disaster happens. So it's like it's game time, you know? So what I tell people is look at your next couple of days, anything that you don't need to do work-wise get it out of there. You still really, it's really important you eat healthy. This is not the time to go Mm -hmm. out and drink in or eat a bunch of fast food because sometimes we want to, you know, sometimes that's our escape. You definitely want to work out. You definitely want to spend some quiet time with like, you know, your partner, your good friends. And so you're absolutely right that that can be that. Okay, very good. Well, thank you. And so now I'd love to hear, are there any particular gems from your upcoming book, Soul-Centered Leadership, that folks who want to be more awesome at their jobs should know about? Well, I'll tell you, I'm really excited about this book. I mean, I've really put my heart and soul into this. And the leaders out there, I mean, leadership is scary. I mean, by definition of leadership, it's like when we're going through life, we have one set of responsibilities and then a certain amount of tasks that we do, a certain number of tasks that we do. And then we either start our own business, we buck for that promotion or whatever. And then all of a sudden we have all this other, well, a whole bunch more responsibility and different tasks, which we normally don't get training or support for. And then everybody's looking at us through a microscope. So I don't know about you, Pete, but to me, leadership is scary, man. It's scary going through that. I hear you. And then we get insecure and that's where bad leadership comes from. And then it's just a downward spiral. 
And so what soul-centered leadership is, is it's really connecting with what I call the greatest leader within you. And this is nothing to do with religion, but, you know, if you do believe we have a soul, you believe we're all connected, that means there's a higher power. And I teach it's about a third emotional intelligence, a third psychology, and a third a general type of loving, compassionate spirituality. Because when we can really come into that loving, compassionate relationship with ourselves, that gives us true confidence. And that really has us to come from a place of service. And mm-hmm. that really, to me, brings our best us to the world. And then we really connect with our true nature as a creator. And that, to me, is where great things are created from. Mm, that is powerful. And that seems like if you need other people's validation, this was a tip from one of our fans, our listeners here in the Just Before Thanksgiving compilation episode. And she said it so well. She said, if you need other people's validation, then you are really holding yourself back in terms of being awesome at your job because it's like you're not sort of self-sufficient and I guess worthy enough, loved, you know, adequate. And so you're off chasing stuff and approval and you end up doing all sorts of suboptimal things along the way trying to get that. Absolutely. She's very wise because that's ego-based behavior. And, you know, I get caught into it sometimes too, even now. So it's human. But, you know, anytime we're looking externally for validation or happiness, there's going to be let down sooner or later. Mm, well, thank you. Well, so now you tell me, is there anything else you really want to make sure that we cover before we talk about some of your favorite things? No, I, I think we're talking about some good stuff. Oh, yeah. It's <laughs> I been always fun. got more stuff. Don't worry. I always <laughs> got more stuff. But I think you're going to ask me some really good questions here coming up. Yeah. Well, first, could you share a favorite quote? Oh, man, there's so many favorite quotes out there. There's a Marianne Williamson quote, and I'm sorry I don't have it up here, but she talks about how our playing small doesn't serve the world. You know, when we shy away from being our greatness because we don't want to make other people feel uncomfortable, that doesn't serve the world. And again, that comes back to the external validation. Sometimes we do hold back because we're afraid we won't get accepted or we make people feel uncomfortable. But, you know, we just have so much power within us. And it takes some worthiness and it takes it being into a really secure relationship with yourself before you can really shine. I just think it's so beautiful when we do. Thank you. And how about a favorite study or experiment or a piece of research? I briefly mentioned it before about how things like keeping things in, they did actually a study on forgiveness and self-forgiveness, which is something I work a lot on. I work a lot on with compassion, the relationship with ourselves. And they found that people that are more forgiving to themselves they experience less heart attacks. So when people are tough on themselves and don't give themselves a break, they have more heart attacks. Mm. Ouch. Okay, well, thank you. Duly noted. And how about a favorite (laughs) book? Well, from a spiritual standpoint, I like Carolyn Mace, M-Y-S-S. And she's got some great books like Sacred Contracts. Uh, A guy named Martin Seligman, who was sort of Sean Acor's, I think, Mm mentor-ish, started positive psychology. And he has a book called Authentic happiness, which to me, the first half of that is all you really need to know about being happy. <laughs> and um, it's like so boom to the point. And it's a great, so Authentic Happiness by uh, Martin Seligman is a great one too. Oh, cool. Thank you. And how about a favorite product or tool or something kind of nifty that you use often and find handy? Well, you know, I believe everybody should have a practice. Like, for example, people say, oh, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm really into self-improvement or something. I said, well, what's your practice? They go, oh, I, I read books or I watch YouTube videos. Or, and I said, well, you know, that's, <laughs> that's not a practice. That's, you know, viewing or reading. To me, it's interactive. And so I really think to really evolve, you need to do something 
repeatable. It doesn't have to be a lot, but like I mentioned, you know, to do a, you know, a journal for five or 10 minutes every day, I spend 10 or 15 minutes, you know, on something that I'm working on for a month or two months, because that's creating new habits. That's creating new, whatever. So whatever people want to change in their lives, you're not going to get it out of a book, no matter how good the book is, a speaker, how good the book is. You got to do something every day. It doesn't have to be a long time, but until you start doing something every day, you're really not going to change. Oh, that is powerful. And so could you share with us a practice or two that work for you? Yeah, I believe into the universe. And so what I do every day is I scan my life and I see where I'm having resistance and I see what the spiritual lesson is because I believe if I'm having resistance, there's a lesson there that the reason it's there is for me to learn something on the spiritual level. And then I also believe that the universe opens up great things for me, but I have to really be mindful and look and listen and identify them. So, for example, I might see, did I meet somebody new? Did somebody, did Pete just send me an invitation for a podcast that I should accept? You know, I really, um, I really connect to my intuition to see where I should go in my life. And that's my daily practice. Oh, thank you. And I'd also love to hear, when it comes to your speaking, writing and such, is there any sort of key articulation of your message or wisdom that gets people really nodding their heads and resonating? Yeah, you know, there's a phenomenon in psychology called a projection. And that means the relationship with myself mirrors every other relationship in our lives. And so when I come into a better relationship with myself, then I come into a better relationship with my friends, my work, my peers, my coworkers, my colleagues, my health, my career. And so if anything, I just really encourage all of us just to give ourselves a break, just to have some compassion, give ourselves some grace, because we're so hard on ourselves. I know you told me that your listeners are the achievers out there, the hard driven ones. And look, I want you to be hard driven. I want you to take risks. But, you know, when you do experience failure, don't take it so seriously. Just give yourself a break. Think of all the awesome stuff you do. You know, you're not going to lose your edge. You're not going to be less competitive, but you can give yourself a little bit of a break and just live a bit of a happier life. Okay. Thank you. And what would you say is the best way to get in touch with you if folks want to learn more? Well, the new book, it's coming out in early January. It's Soul Centered Leadership and it's soul-centered-leadership.com or, you know, you just Google Soul Centered Leadership. I'm the only one doing it, so it'll pop up. And I just believe so much in this material. And I'm just happy to get the word out. I have a lot of gratitude to you, Pete, for having me on. Let me share a little bit of all the crazy stuff I learned. Hopefully it'll help one or two people out there. Oh, certainly. Thank you. And would you say, is there a final parting challenge or a call to action you'd issue to those seeking to be more awesome at their jobs? (laughs) Yeah. I want you to go out there and take a risk. And when you don't be perfect at it, I want you to laugh and say, you know what? I'm human and I'm a risk taker. You know what? That's okay. So I'm going to go take another one. Awesome. Thank you. Well, Michael, this has been so much fun. I wish you lots of luck and enlightenment and good things here in the new year. Well, thanks, Pete. Keep spreading the good word yourself. Okay. So if there's any self-limiting belief showing up in your world, I encourage you to write the affirmation. If you think, oh, affirmations are stupid or silly or lame, go ahead and do it and marshal your evidence and just see the power of that limiting belief diminish over time. I'd love to hear about it. Shoot me a note anytime, Pete at awesomeatyourjob.com. And I encourage you, if you have not already, please push the subscribe button so you'll hear from guests like our next one, Bob Colhan. He has got a fun book all about business improv and why the principles and philosophies of improv are for real helpful in organizations in the workplace. And it can offer a healthy return on investment and make you 
well, more awesome at your job. So I hope to catch you then. Peace. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To get the most out of this conversation, visit awesomeatyourjob.com to find today's show notes, transcript, and infographic summary cheat sheet. For more entertaining professional skill sharpening, be sure to subscribe to catch the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. Thank you.